Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. I'm talking with my buddy Chad Clevenger, executive chef at Olma Kachina, part of the fifth group in Atlanta, Georgia. Chad grew up in Winter Haven, Florida and kicked off his career in the restaurant industry at the age of 17 as a busser at Cypress Gardens in Winter Haven. And from there, really accelerated for him. He, by the time he was 26 years old, was the exec chef of the famed Coyote Cafe in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mark Miller, naming him exec chef, definitely one of his proudest moments, as, as he puts it. And, and he's really parlayed that into a great career as a restaurant owner, as leaders of multiple acclaimed kitchens. And recently, he competed on and was victorious on Beat Bobby Flay. Congrats on that. Now to dig into uh, his pantry a little bit like we like to do, I was struck by the fact that he's got two kinds of mayonnaise, not one, but two kinds of mayonnaise always in his fridge. He's got the Dukes, the classic Southern, and then a little of that Kewpie mayonnaise, that Japanese mayonnaise. Now you always have eggs in your fridge as well, right? And right away, I think yes. you're, into, you're, you're into mayonnaise, you're into eggs, you gotta go egg salad. You said right away, you hate egg salad. What's up with that? Yeah, man. So I, I love a good Duke's mayo. Um, I think in the South, um, Duke's on just a tomato sandwich with white bread. Um, maybe add some bacon, go BLT, but something about Duke's. And then QP, um, I guess I like that kind of umami flavor. It kind of goes you know, maybe a little MSG on you for a little bit. I don't know, but it's got like this different flavor that we like. Uh, me and my wife tend to eat a good amount of QP on things, but yeah, um, you would think liking mayonnaise and eggs, I would, you know, love egg salad, but definitely not the case. Um, I guess with the eggs, I like eggs just about any way, but hard boiled where that pasty yolk ends up being in play, like deviled eggs, egg salad, like no matter who's making it, my own, I'm just not a fan of that texture. I think it's pretty awful. So that's so funny. I'm with you because when it gets kind of mealy and, and chalky a little bit, I'm not super into that with the egg yolk either, which is one of the yeah, reasons that awful. I <laughs> absolutely. It's one of the reasons actually that I like egg salad is because adding the mayonnaise gets you that silky creaminess. So I love that. I just love hearing that. You know, chefs, we always have things. We love it. We hate it. We've tried it a hundred times. I talk about how I, I'm not into honey and I want to like honey. Everything about honey is like, I love the fact that it's an agricultural product. I love the fact that it's medicinal. I love so many things about it, yet I just don't like the taste or flavor of it, but I keep trying it. I keep trying it because I'm hoping one day some honey will get across. So I'm into it. I'm into it. All right. Well, Chad, I want to play a little game with you, a best served icebreaker that I'm calling. Viva la Mexico, 
and I'm going to butcher <laughs> a lot of pronunciation. And my homies in uh, San Diego are going to blow me up, say that I've, I've lost my touch with my Mexican accent. But what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of uh, bracketology. We're going to pick a few regions, culinary regions of Mexico. And we're going to highlight a couple of the dishes that really represent, that are key to that region. And then you're going to tell us which of those regions moves on to the next round. At the end of this, we're going to crown a champion, the best cuisine region of Mexico. And it's an opportunity because you at Oma Cucina and even at Coyote Cafe and some of the work you've done been so passionate about Southwestern and even more so about Mexican cuisine. And I think sometimes we say Mexican cuisine and we have a singular notion of what that means. And it's so varied. It's one of the most diverse and heritage-rich food cultures in the entire world. And we've kind of boiled it down to quesadillas, nachos, and enchiladas. And I think that there's just so much more, as you know so well. So we're going to give everyone an opportunity to kind of learn a little bit about, uh, about the cuisine of Mexico. Sound good? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right, so let's start with the region of Jalisco, known for Barilla and Pasole Rojo versus Poblano. I think we all know the chili, Mole Poblano and Chiles Capones, which is chili rellenos, a cheese-stuffed chili. If you had to pick between those two regions, who's moving on to the next round? Uh, I'm going Jalisco because I've been there a few times. And, you know, not only do you have, like, uh, awesome birria, you know, one of the like, guys who's rocking it when the Beria world is there. And then uh, you have a ton of tequila because all your tequila is coming from Jalisco. And, you know, there's nothing like eating a good Beria taco with, you know, a good Reposado or Blanco. And, you know, I think that that probably outweighs the Pasole. I think, you know, I love Pasole. I make a great Pasole. But I think, you know, uh, people – in general, just uh, don't really like the, the flavor and texture of hominy. So I guess uh, I would probably go Jalisco over the, you know, the mole and poblano stuff and uh, poblano. Well said. Jalisco moves on to the next round. All right. Now, let, now Jalisco is going to go up against Norteño, which basically means the north, which is a, a, a massive area. And a couple of the dishes that are really iconic there are the machaca and carne asada, which people are going to know really, really well. Myself, growing up in Southern California, every single Berto's 24-hour drive-through had the best carne asada burritos. Airy Berto's, Philly Berto's, Roberto's, all of them. You can count on the Berto's to have a good <laughs> carne asada burrito. So if you had to match up Norteño against Jalisco, which direction are you going? This matchup might be a little tougher for me because, you know, who doesn't love good carne asada, like you said. Um, Norteño also, they're like the beans and meat and beans of Mexico, you know. Um, but machaca is another thing that most people don't really know about. It's a dried beef that they've reconstituted. And I do kind of a form without the drying at Alma where we do beef cheek machaca, you know, it's got all the flavor of machaca, but we don't dry it and then reconstitute it. We just kind of braise it off. But I probably will still, I guess, give the nod to Jalisco just because of the, I don't know, the, the birria with, you know, the tequila and just knowing that region and it's beautiful and, you know, it's tons of hillside with, 
you know, Guadalajara close by. And so I'd probably give it still to uh, Jalisco. All right. Jalisco moving on strong, taking on two competitors. All right. Now we're going to move out towards uh, the coast and to the Yucatan, to the peninsula known for Sopa de Lima, as well as a little pibil, a little cochinita pibil. So that's an iconic dish that I think people know in form, but not in name or maybe even flavor a lot. It's kind of uh, mutated, I think, when it gets up here. But that's, uh, that's what's happening down the Yucatan. So Jalisco versus the Yucatan Peninsula. What are you thinking? Um, I will probably give it to the Yucatan because, you know, outside the tequila thing, they um, are much more diverse with their cooking. Um, it is based a lot off of the achiote, which goes into the pork pibil. And, you know, they do a lot of fish with Veracruzana-like sauces, olives and capers and tomatoes and jalapenos and, you know, some of those briny sour flavors that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily pair with a fish or, you know, um, the pibil having kind of the same similar flavors, like a little sourness you know, being cooked with the sour orange and the achiote and like, you know, cooked in the banana leaves. And I think that if you have a great pibil taco or pibil tamale or tostada, anything that it's on and done well, um, I think most people, myself included, would probably eat that every day versus like a birria, even though the birria is, you know, excellent. Just pibil's got a little bit more going on. And then I love all the flavors of the Veracruz with the sour notes and the sour orange and that type of stuff. Um, I'm with you hundred percent. That achiote uh, is good. It's good stuff. And that bitter, the bitter and sour is, is interesting because that's very unique to that, Definitely. to that region. Very unique. And you know, so. some, some, just a little note on achiote, the, the annatto seed that gets you to that achiote paste that they use, you know, so much. Anato seed is found in a lot of things that we eat here in the States. And I'd be willing to say if you flip over any bag of cheddar cheese or anything that has an orangish color, it has anato in it. Absolutely. You know, interestingly, as much as it's used in a lot of different South American cuisine, uh, African cuisine, the first thing that I ever recognized that in was Mimolette, the French kind of precursor to what then turned into English cheddars, then to American cheddars, that French right. cheese. Uh, I was like, what is this orange color? And tracked it down that annatto seed. So very interesting how much we come across things and, uh, and don't even realize it, which is great. Love Definitely. that. All right, now we're going Yucatan versus Oaxaca. Now Oaxaca, the land of seven moles. I think it's really the land of a thousand moles, but seven moles that really define them and you talked about tequila they also got the mezcal there right so the seven oaxacan moles you got the four colors the negra verde amarillo rojo right the black green yellow red then you got the coloradito right the colorado yeah the chichilo and the mancha manteles yeah so the seven moles versus the yucatan with the sour the bitter, you got the pubil, you got the achiote. Who's coming out on top? Uh, Oaxaca, all day, every day, man. It's one of my favorite places in the world that I've actually been to. I've been there a few times now. 
Um, I've been able to go out into the middle of the Oaxaca countryside where all the mezcals being made. And I've, you know, made a couple different mezcals with Zikaru mezcal, Sombre mezcal, and then Oaxaca mezcal companies. Um, all to see the production's pretty cool. And then every, <laughs> I don't want to say every Tom, Dick, and Harry in, in Oaxaca makes mezcal, but it's almost that case where you're driving out in the middle of nowhere and you'll see like a, a two-walled palenque where they're making this mezcal. And you're like, holy cow, like how is that even possible? And either they're making it for their family or their friends, you know, some are selling it, but pretty cool to see that side of Oaxaca. And then, you know, just on the uh, food side, I mean, God, the, the market's there, the mole's there, um, being able to eat all the bugs, you know, the chapolinas and uh, grasshoppers, oh, yeah. worms, all that type of stuff, you know, you're not going to see that everywhere. And then, the moles, I mean, you mentioned there's the seven basics, but everybody's got kind of their version of each one and kind of, yeah, extend those out to, you know, everyone to try and, you know, eat around the table. And it's, uh, I don't know, Oaxaca's a little smaller. It's got a cool feel to it, you know, um, than some of the other places. But that's probably the, as maybe Chicago or New York would be the mecca here food mecca here in uh, the states i would say oaxaca is probably right there at the top with you know mexico city yeah oaxaca has to be one of the most culinary rich areas of the entire world i could not agree more and the moles the seven moles really are like the mother sauces in french cuisine of that yep. because like you said you can extend those a thousand directions the other thing that occurs to me with that is almost like the italian family with grandma cooking sunday gravy right and the, the you know stewing the meatballs in that sunday gravy because it's so iconically family oriented as well now if you had to pick one of the seven moles that you're going to say is the one for you i know that's like picking your favorite child but give us give us some direction what what are you leaning towards uh, that's a little tougher, you know, I mean, it really depends on, I, I'd probably narrow it down to probably three. Um, I, I don't really care for the Machimatellis. I don't like that kind of cooked stewed fruit with chili flavor going on, you know, it's agreed, the agreed. Yeah. The tablecloth stainer, it's kind of a funky, weird flavor and it doesn't go with everything, you know, pork or whatever. It's good. Um, Mole Verde, uh, it's pretty good. Um, I like it with chicken and stuff. It gets a little green and, you know, the, the pumpkin seeds and stuff, uh, uh, that texture can be a little rough sometimes. Uh, but Coloradito and Rojo, similar. Um, both good, both, you know, versatile. But I would probably go Mole Negro first. Then mole amarillo, especially if it's made well, um, and then chichillo. Chichillo being that it's the only mole that is beef based, so they'll use a beef stock or beef trimmings to you know kind of richen it and darken it. And um, most people don't know about that one, but that would be my order: negro, uh, amarillo, and then chichillo. Chad, this is why we're buddies. It's literally the three that I would pick as well for exactly those reasons. Negro, just 
the most depth and richness. And one of the other things they do in Walker really well is that hot chocolate, man. Oof. And, yeah. and so the Negro having that chocolate, I think a lot of people associate the chocolate. They, they know that of mole. That is a specific style within that, that they're doing. Not all these moles are incorporating chocolate. The, the Amarillo, I just think has like a, a nice, interesting, unique characteristic. And sometimes you, you find a little bit more, Acidity. We've been talking about acid a little bit in some of those yeah, that I've had. Exactly. Uh, and then, yeah, the chichillo being beef. Uh, when you think mostly, you're thinking of of pork and chicken with a lot of these. You see some with with goat, but less so. And then, yeah, that one with the beef. So, Chad, you have brought a lot of value, man, to Mexico. You've represented well. I know a lot of your um, Mexican and Chicano brethren would be proud of you right now for sure. So. Let's uh, let's take that and and get into your story. Basically, tell me about where the inspiration. Who was it that really started you, you know, onto this path? And let's uh, let's celebrate them a little bit. All right. Um, first, going back to when I was uh, a little guy, um, this lady who I called Mama Jewel. She was basically my babysitter from I don't know the time my mom went back to work after having me you know six months or so let's call it till I guess I started kindergarten um and then as I got older you know I didn't need to stay with her as much but anyways um this lady um was from Alabama she's true southerner um peach tree in her front yard avocado tree in the backyard um chickens all that stuff um and cooked every single thing every day. Um, kind of one of the reasons why I'm fat right now is because she would cook whatever I wanted. <laughs> oh, make me a cake. She'd make me a damn cake, you know? So, um, Mama Jewel, I would say, is who kind of got me started loving food from, you know, she would sit me up on her counter and I would eat, you know, salted butter out of the pantry and watch her make cakes and she'd, you know, cook all these dishes and her sweet tea was like you know thick like it was made with sugar and honey um she would ring chickens in the backyard you know whack the heads they'd take off running you know next thing you know you're boiling the skin off and doing all that or the feathers off you know and doing the butchering and just you know true like you know if she had a farm she would have been a farmer you know but um that's interesting that grandma figure is is so pivotal in so many people's lives that they just are so innately passionate about food and about feeding other people like you said it's like the way that they instill happiness and value is by like are you fed are you happy are you fed are you happy and they become synonymous for me growing up in germany uh, her name was Schwippe. she would basically kidnap me off the street as i was walking home from school she was a polish woman living in germany her kids were all grown and she would feed me. And we're talking like she'd churn her own butter to make the shortbread and the whipped cream and pick her own strawberries to make the strawberry shortcake or like the goulash. You know, she would do a chicken so that she could, you know, wring out the chicken's necks, like you said. Things like that, I think, are so, like, valuable. They instill something so, so young. So how are you taking and trying to pass on that love for food, you know, throughout your career or today? Like, what does that really mean to you when you're thinking back on those moments and how now you – or steward for that love and passion for food? Um, as much as training people can be difficult and developing people, 
And, um, you know, as I guess I'm an old school in the kitchen, we go on and, you know, have some of these newer guys coming in who aren't quite like us. I'll just put it at that. Um, you know, I, I try and always instill like, you know, hey, cook good food, do it right, you know, make it taste good. Um, and not the, I think it's a little cliche, but the farm to table thing, but, you know, I try and always, no matter where I'm at, the region, whatever, try and get as many local things as possible. Um, cooking Mexican food, it can be difficult because no one in Georgia is really growing jicama or chayote or avocados or all those chilies, you know, so I have to reach from somewhere to get them. But, you know, outside of those ingredients, all my seasonal stuff, try and stay, you know, um, local, use local meats that, you know, are sustainable and, you know, just all the right things with processing and, you know, cooking. And then from there, just, you know, try and teach anyone as much as I know about, you know, life and how that tomato got there and, you know, Hey, someone worked hard to get here and, you know, just, <clears throat> I guess teach as much as I know about each little thing from, you know, from the time I was sitting on her counter until now, um, that I learned from her. A lot of it is just, you know, love for the food and, you know, taking it from scratch. Yeah. So Mama Jewel instilled that core, something fundamental in you, a yeah. love for food, a love for eating, a love for feeding other people. You've tried to kind of bring that into, into your kitchens throughout the years. Uh, tell me about who kind of came next in your life uh, that really inspired you, that pushed you, that uh, motivated you and and, and you see that reflection in, in kind of where you're at now. Uh, so I guess that person came, I don't know, in my mid twenties after I'd gone to culinary school, after I had, you know, worked in quite a few restaurants after I had actually been at the coyote cafe for a while. Um, a new executive chef was hired there. Um, I was his sous chef. Um, his name is Bradley Borchardt. Um, as much as I was inspired by, you know, food and cooking and Mama Jewel and others and Mark Miller even, um, I don't know, something about Bradley, just the way he taught me or we talked about food or talked about Japanese knives or talked about cookbooks and things like that. It was just different, you know. Um, he had worked at, you know, tons of great restaurants, you know, Trotters to Veritas to you know, doing stints at the French Laundry and Balloud. So like tons of your, you know, world-class restaurants. And um, till this day, he's still a badass and, you know, has done a lot and we still talk. But there was just something about like that next level of my career. You know, I loved cooking and, you know, I'd never owned a Japanese knife. And then once I saw, worked with him and that's all he had. And I bought my first one. I, you know, I never went back. And I guess that's kind of the same with the way I thought about, you know, food too. And, you know, I took all of my cuisine to kind of a next level, um, trying to be that much more, you know, particular, or, you know, that much more finicky on things and, you know, trying to really, you know, stress my craft a little bit more and, you know, make something of myself by, you know, what he had shown me. So it was just kind of next level. So, I owe a lot to him and still, you know, um, as we talk, you know, here and there, he still provides, you know, advice and inspiration and, 
you know, hey, don't be a dumbass, don't, you know, do this or don't do that kind of deal. So he's definitely one of my mentors. Keeping it straight, huh? Yeah, because, you know, if you know me, I can can be a little hot-headed sometimes or just run off, you know, with an idea. And sometimes I need someone that's gone through it or, you know, to bounce it off someone else, you know, and sometimes it's him. So um, definitely, you know, throughout my career with moving, you know, I'm in my fifth state and, you know, about – 10 years or 12 years so you know I, I as much as I like to move around and stuff it, it's difficult and you have to make sure you're making the right move and you know do your uh you know your R&D on whatever it is that gets you to that next spot but he's been there for me along the way so I and so do you him. do you find yourself now trying to be that for others you know you had that person that was kind of kind of a created a bedrock for you of, of what it meant to be a chef what it meant to have these kind of scruples and standards and strive for excellence and i and i see that reflected a little bit of how passionate you are in bringing something unbeknownst to so many like mexican cuisine like regional mexican cuisine and techniques and ingredients similar to how now japanese knives is a way of life for you do you find yourself mirroring some of that and and trying to be that for others what is that like for you uh, definitely. You know, like I said, as much as it is difficult to develop people, I, I like doing it. You know, I see myself at some point, like if I ever get burnout, you know, doing the restaurant thing, you know, the operations grinding, um, all those words that we know, well, um, I probably would go into, you know, some type of teaching or consulting or something so that I can help people out who need it. Cause you know, there's so many people out there who, need need someone to mentor them to need they need someone to tell them hey that concept sucks don't don't waste your money on that idea you know so whether it's me trying to help a buddy out who you know owns a restaurant in Nashville or you know trying to help out someone here in town who's starting out or you know just a young chef you know who's looking to buy their first knife uh, or looking to go and actually eat a meal you know that's not a $20 meal you know um I always try and, you know, provide those lists of restaurants, those websites to go check out and geek out on, on knives. And yeah, just try and give anything to them. I mean, I think, you know, if you're one of those guys that think you know everything in this industry or fool and you should probably quit, you know, so I'm always looking to learn. Um, I know I've learned a lot from you over the years on fermenting and stuff. And I try and give that back to anyone and everyone that, you know, I've learned something from to give that back to them. So yeah, yeah that's a, uh, that's part of our job. Right. And having gone around Atlanta and eaten with you, uh, I could tell that and that's something that I hold dear is that people ask me I'm going to LA, where do I eat? I'm in Colorado. Where do I eat? And curating experiences for people that can really be transformative for them. And I see that again with the Mexican cuisine, like you're really trying to bring people to a place, to a people that you've been so impacted by. And I think that is such an important thing. Now, very specifically, I'm very interested. Do you have a thing like the Japanese knives that after people eat with you, have food that you've cooked, have a conversation with you, they go out, they buy their quote unquote Japanese knife because Chad Clevenger says this is the deal? Uh, I've had a few go out and buy knives. And then I've also over the years gifted, you know, a few people with knives, whether it's my wife or sister-in-law or you know 
father-in-law it's you know i have a couple knives that's like all right these are a good beginner japanese chef knife that's not 300 bucks that you know is going to stay sharp and as long as you take care of it, it'll last you forever um i do that more so with i guess friends and family um than maybe a guest but you know line cooks these days you know they have to decide between you know paying a phone bill you know paying rent or you know buying a new knife not everyone has the luxury of doing that so I'm always there for them and always have that list going, you know, at all times, just, you know, and provide any information, but, you know, um, something I like doing, man. Yeah. I think that's important. I think it's important to invest in, uh, in people and have those things where like that, that knife, that ingredient, that dish that they cook at home, that pot, whatever it might be is an extension of kind of the passion that they've, gathered and and gotten from you and stuff and i think that that represents really well but man remember you remember chad all those years ago giving me xyz and it's a part of my life now i think is is super important and and you've had that impact bestowed on you and i think it's important for us to continue to think about bestowing that on whatever comes next you know so all right so we've we've got into into those formative years now you have that foundation as a as a chef uh who comes next for you and, and maybe we're all the way into modern times are there people today that are really inspiring you that that you are connected to in a, in a meaningful way yeah so I guess I'm 41 now and been cooking since I was about 18 so you know 22 23 years in the industry um, and I don't even know how many restaurants I've worked in you know but there's so many people along the way who have who've impacted me a lot, whether it's a, a chef, a dishwasher, a prep cook, you know, a line cook who, you know, should have their own spot, you know, whatever it is, man, there's so many people out there, but, um, since I've been in Atlanta and really just been at the one restaurant, Alma, um, so Alma Cucina, I opened it back in late 2011 and, still have about I guess it's eight employees who are still with me after you know eight years of being there and all the ups and downs and you know getting to the point we're at they're still with me and I don't know if I could have made it to this point without them you know and they're a group of you know Hispanics who we hired on in the beginning and I've had a bond and relationship with ever since. And, you know, I've seen them have kids. I've seen, you know, all the ups and downs that they've had outside of work. And I've kind of always tried to be there for them. And, you know, um, you spend so much time in a restaurant that the employees become your family. And um, I just, you know, this group is, my family i love them and you know care for them and a little bittersweet i'm gonna be leaving soon to go on to open a, another restaurant in buckhead another alma casino but um yeah it's uh something that's going to come to an end soon i'm not looking forward to it but it's been a great ride and you know just those types of people you know help you throughout your career those unsung heroes that you you describe it as like um if I didn't have Anna 
making hundreds and hundreds of empanadas and tamales a week, would I do it? Could I teach someone to do it that well? You know, with Morelio butchering chickens faster than I've seen any chef to this day do it, debone out a chicken perfectly, separating it all out. I mean, that type of stuff when we sell, you know, three cases a day of chicken, like it's, you know, those types of people that help me and get me through the day and the week and the month and, you know, $5 million a year. So it's, uh, it's a busy restaurant and, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do it without these people. And, um, I'm just, you know, as much as a chef is important to a restaurant, you know, every position, every piece of it is just as important. So, um, from dishwasher prep to, you know, your best line cook. It's, it's everyone in between, you know, in the back and then in the front just as well. So, um, yeah, these people these days uh, that have been with me for a while, those are my, my rock. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, I'm always asking about, you know, who are those, those unsung hospitality heroes, those unsung culinary heroes, because they're, they're everything. Like, they're the ones that, allow you to be creative allow you to be visionary allow you to be the chef allow you to go and beat bobby flay right that you're not you're not in that position without them and i think all of us sometimes get caught up in our own great ideas quote unquote myself included and and forget about that and so it was pretty clear and even you like there's no there's no one of them it's seven of them eight of them because i think that's that's true they are the they're the brigade you know, and you're now moving to opening a second location, which is exciting, which means that their work is paying dividends because now you have a strong brand. You have, you know, years and years, years of success of the $5 million, you know, years, which are heavy, busy years. It takes a lot to get to that point for that sustained amount of time. Now you're looking to build that team again which seems impossible. There's so many intangibles. You guys have grown up together. What, what are those couple things that you're looking for that is like, that's, the, that's who's going to be my rock next? What does that process look like for you? Um, scary. <laughs> um, yeah, no, fuck, but, that's really scary, right? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you know, I'm going to a new part of Atlanta, which is, you know, kind of the – the Cherry Creek, the Beverly Hills of Atlanta, you know, it's got a lot of money, um, all your fancy shops and everything up there. So it's a different clientele, um, different guests that want different things and expectations are different. But, you know, in terms of, you know, hiring a staff, you know, I'm, I'm going to start that process here in a couple of weeks and probably have to hire, you know, between front and back of the house, you know, a hundred plus people. And, you know, it's going to be, seven, eight hours a day of just interviewing and, you know, trying to get that, that staff and team together. But, you know, um, really it's trying to find some people who have that passion and that work ethic and really want to come to work every day and, you know, see new things and, you know, learn and be developed and, you know, put out good food and make people happy. Yeah, that's key. Now I know that, uh, your chef at the original Alma Katina is moved up from within. Talk to me about what that meant to be able to develop somebody to the point where you're, you know, you're fly, they're, 
they're flying the nest in a way because you're moving on and now this place is their responsibility. It's still your baby. Like, what is that transition? I mean, is it proud Papa moment? I'm sure. Right. Yeah. So this will be my second sous chef who has been uh, promoted to executive chef in our group. Um, one a few years ago, went on to run one of our other restaurants and then now Robert Rambo, we call him Rambo cause it's just more fitting, you know, who doesn't want to be called Rambo. Um, but uh, he's been with me for about four years now. Um, he's a good guy, smart, smart guy, um, business numbers oriented, um, you know, and then knows how to cook on top of that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's one of those bittersweet moments where it's like, man, this has been my baby from the beginning, eight years in, seeing every single thing that's, you know, come through there. Um, so yeah it's like you know i'm handing it off to to a guy i trust and you know leaving my signatures you know behind with him to you know keep the torch burning there and um moving to buckhead you know it'll be real interesting but um it, it's yeah i guess a proud pop-up moment where you know you feel like all right this guy i've taught him as much as I can pretty much teach him to get him to this point. And, you know, we feel good about him taking over and, you know, being able to uh, succeed in the position and cook good food and, you know, make people happy. I am sure that they will make you proud, Chad, for sure. Yes, sir. Well, appreciate learning a little bit about the people that have impacted you. I want to leave all of our listeners with a quote of yours and have you tell us what it means to you so we can take it out in the world and, and make it a better place. You say cook bold, fresh, and from the heart. What does that mean to you? Uh, just those things, you know, I, I, I don't cook simple food. I don't cook, you know, subtle food. I want to hit you in your face with flavor and punch in your mouth and, um, I guess that's what I mean by cooking bold and then fresh, you know, um, kind of that, you know, cliche farm to table thing, you know, cook as fresh as possible, get it from as close to your kitchen as possible. Um, be, you know, creative and try and, you know, these days I try and, you know, be modern and, you know, as much as I can cook old school, I can, I try and have new t techniques and, you know, as much as I try and develop people, I'm still developing myself and you know um if you don't have that mentor in place that for every day to talk to you have to kind of figure out how to do it yourself and on your own so you know um technology and things have helped along the way but um and then from the heart you know um like with those mama jewel stories and um the bradley borchardt stories and you know traveling and everything it's I try and cook things I want to eat, um, things that other people want to eat. And, you know, not that every dish has a story, but, you know, try to have a story behind why I'm making it and, you know, why I'm trying to get someone to eat it. You know, why I, why I chose to put this ingredient with that. And, you know, I, I always try and have a reason for it. And a lot of it's, um, you know, goes back to the childhood thing of just, you know, learning how to eat and put together flavors and, you know, then brings me all up to this point now. So that's, that's what we want to hear. It, 
Chad, Atlanta is lucky to have you, my friend. Uh, Buckhead, get ready. Alma Kachina is coming. Uh, thank you for being on the show. No problem, man. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, you know, we go back, you know, quite a few years. I, I appreciate everything you've done for me and my career over the years. And um, doing this interview means a lot. And I'm glad I could do it for you. Cheers. So Chad's given us some great insights into the cuisine of Mexico, his work with his crew at Alma Cocina, the scene down in Atlanta. He called out Mama Jewel and some great people that have impacted him along his life and career. And very excited right now to have Bradley Borchard on the line, who is somebody that Chad specifically called out as a mentor, as somebody who's meant a lot throughout his career. Bradley, thanks for taking some time to, to chat with us. My pleasure. Anything for the posse. I uh, love it. So tell us real quick, just a little background on you. Uh, where were you born and raised? Uh, in the Midwest, Chicago area. Um, was there uh, until I graduated high school in 87. Family's still there, but I left to live a life on the road from that time on. I hear that. The journeyman chef, that's uh, all too common. I, I know that story myself pretty well. So I went from uh, Southern California to Ames, Iowa, where my uncles have restaurants. That was a culture shock and uh, got the bug and, and couldn't get away from it. So I think a lot of us have that, uh, that story. And what was, what was your first job in the industry? Uh, I have to say it was uh, at the Bears Den, which was in the student union, uh, the University of Maine, Orono, uh, which is where I went for the first half of my college career. And typical making subs and pizzas and, um, and just <laughs> trying to make some pocket change to, you know, feed the beast. Sir, that first sir, summer I spent on a uh, go ahead. Yeah, survive college basically. Yeah. Um snag free meals, basically, you know. Um and uh that first summer I I lived in the coast of Maine and and did that whole thing, which was a blast. And I worked at Ryan's Pizza, um, which I would say was sort of my first restaurant job. Um and it was great, great pizza place. Mitch and Donna were from Flatbush and moved out to Maine to get away from the city. And they were total deadheads as we all were and busiest uh, weekend of the summer, 4th of July, the dead were playing at Oxford Speedway and we closed the restaurant and all of us went to see the show in Oxford, two shows in Oxford. So, um, you know, dedication to the music before the craft at that point, but they, they slung incredible pizzas there and, and it was, it was great. You know, I really enjoyed it. I wasn't really, um, you know, inspired me to do what I do in the business, but it was just, I, I got a glimpse of, of some pretty cool stuff. It's interesting. We talk about culture and touch on culture within the restaurant industry and, and you hit on something very important where what is our culture outside of the restaurant industry? And it's a lot of hitting far too many late night bars, but there's such a, a, a music culture too. And you see the, almost the soundtrack of, of restaurants defined. And it's interesting that you guys had such a strong tether when it came to that musical identity that you guys literally closed the fucking restaurant to go 
to go hit a couple uh, a couple shows. I love hearing that. So yeah, I don't know later in my career if I would have done that. Um, but at that point, when I was whatever twenty years old or nineteen years old, it was it was definitely the thing to do. That's you got to taste everything. I'm I'm into it. So what are you doing uh, currently? Let's get uh, contemporary. What's happening right now in your life and career? Fast. I don't know, fast forward almost 30 years. Um, and uh, I'm doing strategic innovation work for Cargill International, specifically with the protein ingredients. So after so many years of operations, I mean, really from the Michelin star to multi-unit fast casual to, um, to consulting and to international hotels, I, I I wanted out of operations. I just didn't have it in me anymore. I mean, I've opened 70 restaurants and seven hotels. And, and so uh, I really wanted to see the, the food world as opposed to the restaurant world. And it's just been, I've been there about a year now and it's been an extraordinary experience in, in seeing capabilities and, and concepts on, you know, not a one-off sort of restaurant situation, but how you're, how you're really impacting um, food and delivery systems on a, on a, just an enormous scale. Yeah, I think the idea of perspective within the quote unquote industry that food and hospitality is so broad and wide scoped is, is important. Sometimes we get so tunnel vision. So I think it's very interesting that you bring that perspective. I think people listening can say, I didn't, I didn't know that that was a job. And knowing that there's a lot of opportunity within the industry, I think is very important. Now tell us where you first uh, cross paths with Mr. Chad Clevenger. So I was uh, living in Portland, Oregon, and uh, that's where I had my first chef's job. And it was like everybody's first chef's job, you know, very ego based. Um, crashed and burned, but I learned a lot and and met some people that became, uh, you know, as I say, part of my posse, like the longer you're in the business, you have all the jefes that are above you, and then you start to get them beneath you, and they start to look to you, and it's the great chain of, of cooks, I call it, and so that was what was, uh, you know, and this is long before Portland became, you know, Portlandia, um, it was still incredibly provincial, and I moved there from New York City, so, you know, they didn't really understand what I was about, and I thought that what I had carried more weight than it did in their eyes. So after that ended, I really was looking for what's next. And a uh, common friend of Chad and mine, Kelly Malarney, um, you know, one of my mentors uh, knows Mark Miller really well. And Mark was looking for somebody to help sort of with that summer season to uh, launch a restaurant in the basement to help him with his most recent cookbook, whatever projects to get the cantina, which was our big Mexican outdoor patio open and to sort of rebrand the Coyote Cafe. And I didn't have anything going and I thought great opportunity. So I went down to a tasting for him and, and got hired. And after three months of consulting, he offered me the job and, you know, we just swore off to the races and Chad was part of my team there. I kind of inherited him. And, um, and after once, after I established myself, you know, it, he you know, Santa Fe is is an incredible place, but it's uh, there's not a ton going on for a young cook to sink their teeth into on the day off and and you know get stimulation like it would be living in New York or Chicago or something like that. So, you know, I was coming in with a 
totally different perspective and uh, really sort of, I don't know, fire in the belly for chefing and cooking and, and, and had the energy and drive at that point that was just, you know, so relentless. And so he gravitated towards me because he was getting an opportunity to see something and experience something that you want when you're coming up as a cook. And, um, he was a tough kid to manage, uh, pretty strong willed. And, uh, but nonetheless, you know, I, I, we bonded and became friends and had a lot of laughs. And, and, you know, when I moved on from the coyote, he, he stayed on there. And then as I said, the great chain of cooks, you know, it's like, he always would, send me emails or reach out to me whenever he was confronted with something or created a new menu or so on and so forth. Hey, what do you think about this? And it just was, uh, and that's sort of how it began. <laughs> and he was in the posse instantly. So I'm very interested in, in what you said about just difficult to manage. You know, he, he mentioned that <laughs> he can be kind of a hothead and that now he's very much matured and, and taken on that, that mentorship role for himself, you know, like you said, now he's the jefe. Uh, I'm very interested in that. I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about what it was like with, you know, a, a opinionated, hot-headed, young, ambitious chef, because I think that journey is important. You know, that, that hero's journey, you start in that place where you think you know it all, you get smacked in the face by a mentor or the industry as a whole, and then you kind of build yourself up into, into what you ultimately become as, as a chef. So I think that, go back to that, because I think everyone listening can get some value out of maybe accelerating their opportunity to get to that point quicker, because sometimes it takes us, myself included, a decade of thinking you know it all to realize you don't know shit. Give us some insight. Well, there. I don't know how, yeah, I mean, it's a... Uh... You can say, you know, people could have talked to me when I was younger and I wouldn't have listened to them. It's like you, you have to go through the paces and you have to come across the people that are going to challenge you. And, and I don't believe you should rush the process. I mean, yeah, I would have been great if, if what I went through could have been streamlined and I could have done this, that, or the other, but you, you do the best that you can in the moment that you're, that you're existing. And, you know, you don't have hindsight vision when you're deep in it like that. So, for me, that was the, the, you know, the opportunity to really, from being a, a cook and a sous chef and my first chef job, but to really sort of step into, you know, I'm working with one of the true heavyweights of the American culinary vernacular, Mark Miller, who's, you know, who has since become a friend and, and mentor and, you know, is very, still pre very present in my life. And, you know, running three outlets and all the whole media thing, you know, doing recipes for Southwest magazine and all this, that, and the other, and, and wine dinners and all these things that I was then in charge of. And so you get into that position and then you're going to have people that were like you that were, you know, strong-willed and pig-headed and you see the talent in them, but you just have to, you know, you have to deal with the, the youth and, and the arrogance. And, you know, that's part of your journey when you get to a certain level of how do you manage this band of misfits and get the best out of them in order to, to, to make it all happen. And so, you know, he, he was challenging from that standpoint, but he wasn't unrealistic, um, you know, uh, but, you know, he had uh, sort of a, not a ton of experience and, 
had good instincts and, and could cook, but, you know, he was referring back to his experience, which was not that much too often. And I just was like, dude, shut up. And this is where we're at now. And I don't need that opinion. What I need for you to do is be a good soldier and, and do what I'm telling you to do, because I'm dealing with a much bigger world here of the ego and of Mark Miller. And trust me, your job may seem frustrating or rote, or you think you can do more, but I've, I'm, I'm dealing with something way more volatile here and I'm shielding you from that. And so just support me on that. And so that was the constant dialogue with him. And overall, you know, we would end up laughing about things and, and getting through it, but it was just, you know, part of the, the challenge for all of us in, in, you know, when you get yourself to the next level. And so I think, you know, some of the discipline that I, push towards him from a culinary standpoint, less from the management standpoint, uh, he took in and, and, you know, it's become part of him and in, in his core. And, you know, that's gratifying. And I'm happy that uh, all these years later that we're still in touch in the way that we are. And I was in Atlanta uh, a month and a half, two months ago with my team, we were working this huge event, you know, 350,000 people, and, uh, and I brought the senior people in one night to Alma and he cooked for us and it was a fantastic meal and they're all, Oh, you know, chef Chad, I'm like, yeah, I used to work for me. And the, you know, bringing up that story sort of, you know, a condensed or, or different version to them as I'm telling you. And, you know, they're all, wow, that's, and it was an excellent meal, the best I've had at Alma. Uh, and I've eaten there a number of times and, you know, it's, it, it's gratifying when that goes down the way that it does. And I'm, I'm happy that he's, he's part of my, part of my team and I can go to him with any requests and he's going to get back to me. And, and it's just nice to have that out there. Yeah. Go deeper into that. I really, I'm really interested in that. I you know, call them these proud Papa moments and Chad's going through that right now where he's opening up a new Alma and he's moving on to the new location, to open that. And, and a lot of his team is staying put at the original location and one of his Sue's that's been with him for four years, they call Rambo. He is taking over. And it's, it's that moment where you're, you know, that, that pride that you have in it, knowing that you had a, a part in that. I think that's, that's, if we know that that is coming down the road, I think we'd spend a lot more time cultivating people because a lot of times as a chef, we're so focused on what they're doing for us. And I think the more we can think about what we're doing for them and what that means in the future can hold a lot of weight in the way that we interact with each other. So I'm very interested in that. I can hear in your voice that it was a proud moment to tell all the, you know, the VPs, like, this is my guy. He's part of my posse. Can you expound on that sense a little bit more? I, it's just, uh, I, you know, it, 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 it's all, I, I've had it happen to me and, and, it's a, it's a pleasure to be able to realize that you've had that sort of impact on somebody. I agree. It, it would be great to have uh, more of a structured mentoring program, but unfortunately the, you know, when I came up, there was, it was all about survival. Um, the competition was so fierce and it was a question of, well, you know, there was 20 people waiting for that position if you didn't follow through. So you really were self-centered about it. And, you know, the change in culture now is uh, the, the cooks are very self-centered and have a very small attention span and, and see less virtue in the process as they do as to what you can do for me. So 
Um, you know, it, it, I wish there was more of a, a culture of that, but I just, it, it's not, so you have to seek it out and, uh, and, and go with, uh, who's part of your team and what, you know, what the situation is and sort of the people that are open to it, I'm willing to give as much time as, as possibly needed, but I'm kind of done with trying to change people and, 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 you know, you have to come to it on your own terms. You can't beat it into somebody. And so it, it's incredible when that happens and it's really cool and it is gratifying. And I would say, given that you have to fight for it a bit and it's, you know, the, those relationships then tend to be uh, a little bit stronger and have more depth than if it's just sort of this blanket thing, like I'm going to mentor you now, you know, it's like, I, I don't, that structure, if it would be cool, it just, it's, it's just not there. And so I think consequently it's when it does happen, it's usually a stronger bond. Yeah. You kind of have been through the fire together, I think a little bit. And, and you touched on something that I think is important also is you kind of are recognizing that fight in them and then you're willing to put as much time and effort in as possible. I think two things happen there. One is you're, you're recognizing them. And, and when people, see that somebody's recognizing them it it takes that fire to the next level and two you're you're then able to personalize that mentorship versus it being a structured thing as you mentioned it's like a curriculum i don't think you can mentor on a curriculum right teaching and mentoring are two different things and so i think that's that's a fundamental point that you hit on is that now you see them you see their fight and there's a bond created and now you're going to mentor them with the experience and skills and knowledge that you have, but in a way that is meaningful to them. So I really, really love that. Some, some great points in there. Uh, Bradley, thank you very much for talking with us. Appreciate the mentorship that you've given to Chad. It means a lot to the industry as a whole. There's ripples and I'm sure there's dozens of other people that you've had that impact on and uh, excited to see what happens next for Chad. And Thank you again for your mentorship in the industry. Uh, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, good luck with your, your new venture here and uh, happy to help out. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.